The subject for this evening's talk is love and sexuality. As I mentioned the other day, there are a number of notes which have been placed in the jar in the form of questions. And for me, I would like to um, read out these questions which do bear some relationship to the theme for the evening talk. Can you speak please on avoiding attachment in What do you make of the mass phenomenon of relationship separations in the West? Could you please talk about being committed in life? How do we survive, live and grow when our parents and children want us to conform? When one seeks to become desireless and without attachment and succeeds to varying degrees, what model would you suggest for male-female relationships? Why are so many enlightened beings opting for no relationship and no personal one to love. What's wrong with personal one-to-one loving? What, what does commitment mean in an intimate relationship? Sexual partners outside the relationship? Question mark. So I think you get a, a sense of some of the thoughts which arise through people's minds. Possibly all of us, to some degree or other, are experiencing a time in our society in which there has been and there continues to be to quite some degree a major shift from the values adopted and identified with by our parents and to some degree or other values and a wide range of values are determined and influenced quite distinctly by economic factors. And sometimes we don't appreciate this. And certainly with our parents' generation, who were perhaps in their 20s, in the 1940s, 1950s, that the economic issue was the primary one for maintaining the continuity of relationship and the continuity of marriage. And through the mode of the soci- that particular social contract, it had a bonding effect whether or not either person wished for it. And it was often the plight, and that's how I would describe it, of the woman particularly who had no financial resources outside of the marriage, no option to go anywhere else and start again, 
except possibly back to the parents. And with the general socialising, or shall we say socialism, in its healthy and responsive mode to the needs of women and men, there came about in the course of time the, the possibility and the growing possibility for women through support and through independence and self-affirmation to be able to make the step that when something wasn't working and the degree of pain within the relationship, within the marriage and within the family had reached such proportions that the situation was untenable, then increasing number of women were and are able to make that step to move away from and receive support, both emotional support and support from the state. And quite often we take, rather naively and in an immature way, a somewhat patronising and superior attitude with regard to our parents and their, their long-standing difficult relationship without actually understanding a considerable number of factors which affected those decisions. Further, I would say, in looking at past love, sexuality and and area of relationship, that in this giving of support, and particularly for women as men have had this privilege far longer, that it brought in the bringing about of a certain degree of independence, it presented for relationships, for the nuclear family, for community, and for whatever lifestyle we are adopting, a whole new challenge, and, within a, and with a whole new challenge, a completely new threat to communication and affection and friendship between women and men. And it's at this period of time which we are living in. And to look at that, I feel therefore it's rather necessary and valuable to have some understanding, firstly of the historical processes which take place, and then with the situation which we often find ourselves in. And this is the area, and there's a number of questions here have uh, addressed, the area of commitment, relationship, parenting, other partners, and the whole gamut of human experience primarily at the emotional level. And a question, a very fundamental question, which any caring, thoughtful human being must ask, well, what is my relationship to another in this area right now in my life? What's actually happening in my life at this time? And for some, that responds to that question of fundamental and primary question may be one of the direct experience of a contentment, an appreciation, 
an abiding love, and love, incidentally, is always abiding. Pleasure isn't, but love is an abiding nature. That love, affection, connectedness may be what emerges out of the heart when we ask, what is the state of my love and my relationship here and now? And sometimes, in directing this question, and it's not an easy question to focus on, not an easy question to be with, is when one states that question and the response is pain, confusion, difficulty, uncertainty, fear, jealousy, and so forth. That unsatisfactory condition which is common to relationships, may be such that it's just a wave in this period of time which comes and goes and it balances itself out. And it balances itself out primarily because of one or two factors. And in love and in sexuality there is a kind of bottom line Things can go wrong, drifting apart can take place, confusion, irritation, conflict can emerge, mistakes can be made, what one would refer to as a mistake, all of that can take place, and yet a relationship will hang together on two basic principles. One of them as referred to in the question, is commitment, and the other is trust. And any area in life, and any form of human relationships, and of course at the moment I'm referring to um, male-female, primarily male-female, or it's close interpersonal, can hang together and weather any storm when commitment and trust are there. When that begins to break down, for the countless reasons that it can, then the relationship, the marriage, no matter how long it is, is in a state of crisis. In this area of relationship and the element of commitment and, and trust in a relationship, there is also a necessity outside that emotional bonding, that interconnectedness, because two people's relationship cannot really hang together on itself. In other words, the predominance, hope you can follow all right, the predominance of social forces, meaning other people who live in close uh, proximity to a situation, also have demonstrably an unusual degree of influence within the field of relationship, an unparalleled degree of influence. And the closer the proximity is, the closer the influence. And a relationship, given the social character of consciousness, 
can really stand up to uh, the difficulties and the tribulations unless a third factor is present outside of that relationship. So it's trust, it's commitment, and the third factor outside of it is a respect for that relationship. And unless there is the intertwining, one might say, the intermarriage of, of this, then relationships cannot possibly hold together. That's a truth, a, a bare fact. And so an individual, a concerned human being who is concerned about social reality and the interpersonal forces and influences, look, where is my expression of respect? Where is my expression of commitment? Where is my expression of trust? Making allowances for all of that, making as much allowances for the humanness of ourselves with our strengths and our weaknesses and our virtues and our failings and our clarity and our gross errors of judgment and action and so forth, that even when the relationship is under threat or is breaking down, still there is the possibility for renewal if one can connect with the affectionate, caring element between the two people. The two people can, can begin to feel what is happening. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm referring to. It's not at all unusual within relationships that the relationship may change. There's a relationship, there's partners, one partner decides to leave. And in speaking in this way and in talking with you, I think it's rather important that you don't assume or conclude that I'm anchoring for longevity in relationship as some lifelong commitment. I'm only I'm speaking from a standpoint of what causes suffering and the way to end suffering. I'm not speaking about proposing an idea of continuity is good, lack of continuity is bad, that thought is nowhere in my consciousness. I'm speaking about the suffering which ensures and emerges from confusion. Now in a relationship at, and within a situation, it may be and it does happen that a third person appears on the scene and one partner is attracted to that person that it, attraction evolves it develops it can be physical emotional intellectual spiritual or whatever and there is a stepping away from sometimes in just in periods of absenteeism from one's part usual partner sometimes it's because of feeling needed to be reassured about oneself. Frequent reasons. Sometimes it's revenge, whatever the motive. So the various motives attract a person to another, to a th what we call a third party, a third person. And there is relation, uh, relationship, 
may not have any continuity to it, there may or may not be sexuality involved in that, but it has a distinctly threatening quality to the partner who is affected by that. And the understandable response to the partner who was not involved but who is extremely hurt by such an action is so likely to emerge because of the character of hurt to emerge with anger towards either one's own partner or to the third party or to both. And so there easily is, very understandably, a projected sustained blame which is put out. But what one may be missing from that is what was one's own contribution? Relationships, life is not a totally independent. We are constantly influencing each other. And so to some degree the partner who feels hurt, rejected, ignored, whatever, that person must look and see well what was going on in my life that contributed, not caused, that's going far too far, but what contributed to this cir these circumstances. And one of the common things which I hear again and again is that the partner who was left wasn't nurturing the relationship, was, wasn't affirming the person, was doing his or her own thing. But there was a, some neglect taking place. Or sometimes it was a possessiveness, the other extreme, constantly doing, constantly looking after, and the other partner felt under pressure, constantly being watched, constantly being seen to be what one was doing. And the partner who felt under pressure began to look elsewhere for a communication, a sexuality, which didn't have pressure within it. So we have to look at the context of our relationship, see what's happening within the context of our relationship, and equally, what are our friends like? Do we trust our friends? Do we trust the people that we have connection with? Is, is, is there that mutual respect and confidence in each other? The area of relationship, you know, there's a very, you know, vast field, so many aspects to this, one could speak for hours on this. The area of, rela the area of relationship is such, as I mentioned, with respect and commitment and uh, trust, still undergoes a whole variety of difficulties, and sometimes it may not be because there is difficulty within relationship. That a relationship may go apart because of the particular needs and evolution of the particular individual. And it's extraordinarily hard, I can certainly speak from sheer experience of this, extraordinarily hard to, to be able to have that awareness and that openness and spaciousness which 
enables the relationship itself to change. So it may not be because of crises or problems in relationships, but of need for one's own evolution. Let me give you I mean, a more clear illustration in my, uh, than in my own uh, life. Having been in a relationship with uh, Gwenwin for uh, five and a half uh, years, and she felt, and not unusual for a woman, and a quest for self-affirmation, felt it was necessary and vital for her to make a step out of the relationship. There's nothing else outside of it, no problems outside of it. Very supportive friends in, in the area, no threats in that way. And I could see, even when I was here two years ago, that they, they had a sense that this was taking place. And in that, sometimes a person has the need to be, to find oneself, as she would say, or to be out of the shadow of a of another, and that step has to be made. And it's, you know, it's when one's, as it were, dharma practice, or one's awareness and understanding, really, as it were, comes under challenge to see, <laughs> to some degree, as many of you know and can testify, where one is at in the time of change of relationship. And when one is able to let go or accommodate the personal vested interest, which has been developed and cultivated through time, and let go of that and be spacious enough to be able to recognize this, for this person, is a necessity. And so very easily we can go from the spaciousness which sees that quite clearly to one of the personal interest which senses and experiences the emotional pain due to loss, due to separation. And that can have a real thump in the heart. And I remember when I, I'd been in um, India conducting the retreats there in uh, Buddha Gaya, and I came home to our little uh, terraced house in Totnes, and as Granwin said that when I got back she would have moved into the to the flat, uh, two miles away with our daughter, Mishona, um, and I got home, and from the, from the wall were many of the hangings from different parts of the world, and pictures, and whole countless things which were very familiar, which we had got together, including when our visit here to Australia, and to India, and other parts of the world. And she had, as we had agreed, had taken some and left some, but some of the walls are completely bare, and one walked in one's home, middle of winter, cold, dry, no one at home. <sighs> Even though there was a preparation and a knowledge, one couldn't be that, at least I couldn't be that prepared for the emotional impact of walking into a cold, empty house, and no little girl to hug and kiss. And one sees, within the context of these things, and my experience not an unusual or an untypical experience, but within, within that, hopefully, we can find in ourselves the understanding which sees change and what that means.
But in the field of this, what comes to my mind, very important here, and I would say particularly where children are concerned, because then one enters into a whole new field of relationship, of love, of sexuality. And that has to, that awareness, of course, must begin, it must begin at the very beginnings of the process of contact, the process of affection, of communication, of the sheer joy and delight of communion through sexual love. The very beautiful experience in life, the beautiful experience, particularly when both partners know it's not a pleasure thing, it's something deeper than that, and it's deeper than that because it's love. And, it, and because it love, it means, love means that there is an abiding element there. And in that abiding element, with the connectedness that can and does accompany that, then that love which flows keeps bringing renewal and revitalization and joy within the area of sexuality. Love, love does that. Got no, no, nothing to do, as you surely well know, with method and technique and being a professionally good lover and all of that mumbo-jumbo. It's got to do, it's a, it's a pure heart experience which is to be discovered and with two people in, in the course of time, truly at the physical level, in, with love and sexuality, truly know each other physically. And that's all part of that marvelous exploration in life of love, sexuality, and the spiritual element which can pervade it. And one sees too that within our, what shall we call it, within our culture, if we've reached that point yet, within our own alternative inquiry and exploration, with all, generally speaking, uh, with the varying economic supports which enable more personal freedom to, to take place. There's also a need, I feel, and there's a long way to go in this area, if I may say, in the Rainbow regions especially, with regard to the understanding of what feminism is. There's, there, I feel in my observations and and uh, conversations and so forth, that there's a long, long way to go in this, in this area, both collectively as human beings and particularly here, be because, you know, if I put it another way, that typical, what crude word, ochre image, you know, of the Australian macho male well, all I will say is the Australian macho male is alive and well in communities in the Rainbow region. <laughs> when I'm speaking about feminism and, and being a feminist myself, I see that there is this gap, and the gap is still sustaining the old model. And it has the kind of... Um, 
it's almost like the counterpart of it, if one uses a, a crude analogy, of the kind of petty bourgeois mentality that was, and still is to some degree, pervasive in some places like um, Los Angeles, in which there's a lot of exchanging and changing going on, and all, and all the pleasure and the interaction of different partners and sexuality and abortion on demand, etc., etc., and all of that is put under the guise of liberation, under the guise of women being free, under the guise of, of men being free. It's an, just a fiction. It's a fiction to believe in this. It's a fiction because it is still sustaining pain. And some of the pain which is being sustained through the oscillation backwards and forwards between pleasure and pain is only going to be counteracted when women who are feminists bring this more to all of our notice. notice. And it's the spirit of feminism, I fear, which somewhere or other is the key to radical change. And it's not here. That I can tell you. That may mean, like I mentioned this morning, uh, morning or yesterday evening rather, just as communities can develop and learn a lot, say, from going to a place like Nicaragua and learning what community life is like there to get inspiration and insight, perhaps it's necessary to also explore forms of expressions of feminist ways which are taking place in the States, in England, in Sweden especially, and other parts of the world to understand the feminist principles in action. Because there I feel a sense of you know, much affection and appreciation of the struggle which is taking place to live on the land here, and, and all that is taking place. But it, this area of relationship is the Achilles heel. And it's the Achilles heel which is so strong it has the danger of being the death knell of community life by the time the next generation comes. Because the pain level is, and the imbalances are noticeable, distinctly noticeable. Let me explain, let me try to uh, touch a little bit on here what I, what, I, what I mean by that. If I speak as a, as, a, as a man and typical kind of patterns of behavior that men have, how we as a men tend to show and uh, express this, I think part of it is, um, frankly, is due within ourselves to um, an enormous degree of emotional immaturity. That this is so predominant amongst men that it's sometimes hard for women who to understand this situation that men are in. And let, let's just take examples. At the at intellectual level, in what might, we might call the sphere of non-life, 
the sphere of non-life is in living in the head, whether it's in computers and technology and car mechanics and running a business and organizing a protest, etc., etc., etc. We're good. <laughs> we can do that. We've got a head for doing that. We live in that world. We spend years, lifetimes stuck up there. And when it comes to other levels of ourselves, we're so out of touch with what we're feeling, we don't know clearly what we're feeling, and we've never gone deeply enough within the scope of our feelings in our life, it produces erratic behavior. It produces out of ourselves as men, women must speak for themselves here, but it produces outside um, within us as men an incapacity frequently to be able to take emotional responsibility. We don't understand the correlation between the two. Hence, one of the enormous social effects of this inner lack of ability is the predominance of single parents and of whom 90 something plus percent are in fact single mothers. That says something about emotional responsibility of women and it says something about emotional inability or irresponsibility of men. And unfortunately, unless there is a commitment to feminine principles, women will still support this situation. will encourage it. And so if I look around me and I see from you, many of you who have come and many of my friends and people, if I see in this area there is a great predominance of single mothers and there's only a tiny number of single fathers, I say you are upholding sexism. That's what I mean. And it's an extraordinarily difficult one for us as men with our organizational head to actually break out of this pattern. And part of our great difficulty is because we think what we are doing, whatever it is, is more important. And then we run off and want to save, save the, the rainforest. So there has to be some inquiry, serious inquiry, because I say, it not only does it affect children, who are the innocent victims, and that's what they are, victims of this unacceptable situation, but it also affects the whole mode of relationships. And it becomes the breeding ground for resentment, hostility, anger, upset, isolation, etc. So somewhere or other, I think the key concept to all of this, somewhere or other, is that we as men, in our privileged state, with our privileges of ideas, must be made accountable for where we are at. 
It doesn't have to be a threatening way. It doesn't have to be a put-down way. It doesn't have to be in a militant way or in a way of separatism or whatever. But it means that instead, as I hear quite all too frequently, is that, I, that for the woman she is frequently a single, that she is a single mother and has a child and the women gives her friends, the women friends give support to caring for the child, child minding, and somehow or other it doesn't, for me it doesn't sit right. So who amongst us, within us, as, as men please, are willing to say, I'm going to radically look at this. If it means giving up my non-life activities, then I'll give them up to make feminist principles something of a reality in one's life. Feminist principles, and that means emotional responsibility, care, sensitivity, aw awareness, support, through thick and thin. Which any mother who has, 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 has a child seven days a week knows about. So this, this gap sets in, and the difficulties set in, I feel the difficulties set in, and as a result of the difficulties, it sustains a difficult situation. We've moved away from some of the restrictions that I mentioned of the past and, and of the old, but there's a long way to go before there is a genuine harmonization of the gender. And if, and if, and what I, if I may say for myself, what I have found with this, that I can't say, oh yes, I'm committed to feminism, I'm committed to this. I actually have to take hold of my life, I have to look at all the conditioning which I have got as a male, and I have to say, this is unacceptable. This has got to change, I have got to change. And mostly what I have found of what has got to change, it's mostly put in one single, unequivocally clear statement, I've got to let learn to let go of a lot of my interests. And it's the letting go, and if man can get this capacity, if we, to let go and feel the needs of our partners, feel what it, feel what it means to be a father and, and reconnect, feel what it feel what it means of responsibility and trust and the development of that, then there's a possibility for some communion. Someone here asked me, oh, near the end. someone here asked me a good question, quite got me thinking. It, the question was, um, do you have any faith in relationships. And the, this person came the next day and said, Christopher, do you really have any faith in relationships? You know, sometimes you ask, one can look at that from the outside point of view, from one's observations and perceptions of life, and then one look at it from one's own point of, point of view. And so I've been looking. 
<laughs> and what arose then with this uh, 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 question was possibly the person is implying, possibly implying, I didn't, uh, uh, didn't have a response at the time, is continu meant is continuity in relationship. If there is there continuity within the rela in the within relationship, and can that be sustained? And given the circumstances, the social reality at present, not only here but in many parts of the world, the Western world, I would say at the present, given the present circumstances, it will be not the norm. It will be rare. It will be rare that one cannot now expect. And unless things change by, with men and with women's cooperation and, and connection with us, I don't see that we can expect at the present juncture at time that relationships can have an indefinite continuity to them in which there is trust, commitment and respect. And therefore one has to be, and I certainly see this in my in myself, has to be or develop that understanding in which one cannot anticipate the probability at the present time that the relationship will last more than five, six, seven years. And when they do, they will be rare. And doesn't take it doesn't take an opinion poll, does it? <laughs> it? Just just look at the present reality. Just look at our various partners and our relationships as they as they are. That's the fact. And since there is a flow which is like that at the present time, it isn't going to change unless you and I and we as women and as men enable it to change and, as, and those three factors of respect, commitment and trust will have to be sustained and developed in possibly new ways. It's a harsh fact. Why should your relationship or my relationship be any different from this? So in this giving this care and attention to our, to our areas of our relationship is going to require much care, sensitivity, working with giving each other space and all the acknowledgement of that. And if we can start building on that foundation and, and where there is any kind of privileged and underprivileged position to say that this is unacceptable and to make it clear until it changes. Then women and men can meet together truly as equals, which is how it is intended to be, how it actually is at some very fundamental level. And it's not enough for you or to me to hear this, We've got to start asking ourselves clearly, 
inwardly. If not for our own sake, at least for the sake of all the children. May all beings live with love. May all beings live with trust. May all beings live with respect.